0: Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Katherine Marino and Gail Zelitsky.
1: One. Hi, I'm Katherine. And I'm Gail, and we are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Please visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can download the playlist of all the episodes. We also invite you to join our podcast discussion club, and we welcome being asked to speak to your organization or group. Each week, we showcase vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. These women lead fulfilling lives for themselves and others.
0: We are so pleased to be talking today with Elizabeth Zib Hintz from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now I was introduced to Zib by my sister Karen Marino. They share a passion for rowing. Prior to retiring from full-time work at age 70, Zib's career included working as an urban planner with a social work MSW background and as a policy analyst and program manager with the public school system. In the early 1970s, Zib traveled across Europe and the Middle East for a year, returned to visit the Middle East shortly before the Iranian Revolution, and much more traveled since then. At age 42, Zib gave birth to her only child, a son, and after four decades of being with her life partner, Zib divorced what had become her special occasion husband. At age 65, Zib took up rowing, learned to play the cello, and now performs in a local orchestra and a quartet. I also want to mention that Zib was raised in small town America, the first born to a farm family living near a town with a population of 400. So during my get acquainted conversation with Zib, I heard some key themes that, that, were, that we're so interested in hearing more about. One is, is about her curiosity and risk yet being pulled back to a safety anchor. Another has to do with Zib's attraction to large community visions and people creating change. And a third, her aspiration to live a life of endurance with grace. So welcome, Zib, to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. And we'd like to begin with the notion of following, you're following curiosity, engaging risk, and, and how did this come to be such a key theme in your life?
2: Well, um, thank you. I, I think it's because, um, I'm i I've always considered myself a late bloomer, um, being born in 1945 in a small farm country. Um, just this was just one year in advance of the baby boom. And I thought coming from this, um, small town area and, um, You know, just at the close of the war, Second World War, I thought I had to follow a script and um, be the nice girl, responsible and certainly predictable and really try to do things the best, be the best, be competitive. So that's how I started out. But um, I really I couldn't do it. And I slipped out of that script mode into an early divorce and I began to follow my own interests Um, kind of more of a track directed uh, by my curiosity. And of course that was risky and scary. Uh, this was in the late sixties and early seventies. but not allowing myself to explore, um, as a young adult and develop my own being in my late teens has, uh, made me feel like I've been kind of catching up ever since. And that's not really so (laughs) about catching up, but, um, I've been uh, curious about new things and in meeting new people and better understanding the world um, throughout my life. And I can't imagine not continuing that. The whole idea that some people have of a bucket list is just anathema to me because that <laughs> sounds so finite. And they, they will say, well, we keep adding to the list, but the fact is that... It's it's something so specific, and I I prefer to um, let my curiosity evolve, I guess. So you no, know, I
0: I'm sorry. I would just I really would like to go back to the the small community that you I know you were raised on a farm and then moved to a, a somewhat larger right. community and a suburb uh, of the Twin Cities. But how how did you then make that break? Because what you did traveling across Europe and the Middle East in the early seventies seems pretty
2: darn risky to me. That was kind of risky. (laughs) That was kind of crazy, but I just had to do it. Um, So I just, I just thinking of um, when I was born, my father was actually farming with horses. There were no, Mm -hmm. uh, there's no lights, uh, no electricity or running water in this sweet little cottage farmhouse right on a bend of the Yellow Medicine River. Mm. And I remember that very, very distinctly. Um, my parents, my mother was a school teacher, Dad was a farmer and then became a small business person. And we always had lots of books. And um, I was read to, all of us kids, the four of us were, um, were read to, and we read to each other. And I remember in particular a book that mom and dad had that um, were kind of sepia tone uh, uh, photographs of um, places in the ancient world. And I remember uh, being very, very young poring over that book. And um, somehow our family lost that book, but it's very distinct in my mind. So I guess, some of those um, early beginnings uh, overrode this notion that I had to follow a script when the script was making me very unhappy. Um, but I wanted very much to go to the University of Minnesota. That was big time. Um, and I did not want anything to do with some of the other post secondary opportunities that were around. Um, and also, very few of Few of the people in my high school graduating class were going on to post secondary education, but this was 1963. But it was just mm-hmm. e- expected in my family mm-hmm. not really planned for, not really financially prepared for, oh. but it was simply expected. And then it was easier somehow to pull all of that off. So, and um, so I guess <laughs> that was to be that laid the groundwork for mm-hmm. making some of the breaks that I did.
0: And w- when you traveled to Europe and the Middle East, was that, uh, between undergraduate and graduate school or after graduate school? No,
2: that was a year after graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I put a Volkswagen bug in storage with a friend and, um, took all the money I had, which wasn't much, bought a backpack and went off. Um, A two a two hundred dollar round trip flight on Sabina (laughs) Airlines from New York to Brussels. That's what it took, Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: I had friends. I had friends in three um, key areas of Europe, Um, so I knew I had you know little little um, safety landings (laughs) in at least three places. (laughs) I was an art history minor, and so um, I was very curious, you know, about the usual. Uh, kinds of um, places, um, large urban areas. Didn't get to Berlin, but spent several weeks in Paris and and, uh, Vienna and went on. Because of a hitchhiking partner, I ended up going into the Middle East just because I had a partner, a hitchhiking partner, that Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. I want to emphasize. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. (laughs) yeah yeah right, right. And then another big goal that year was uh I really, really wanted to get up into the Arctic circle and um I did and I did do that. my um partner, who I had left, we had broken up uh came um met me in parma Italy. We were married, and we went off to uh for the rest of the year together,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and part of that was um Hiking up in Scandinavian, mm-hmm. um, up above the Arctic Circle, crossing over from Finland to Sweden to mm-hmm. Norway, so um, so that all all high risk in the <coughs> early fall, and then I really needed some safety anchors after that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so you returned. You returned to to the Twin Cities then after. Uh, a after-
2: m- months later. Months later, we had spent the winter in. Um, on a little island in Greece. Oh my goodness! Yeah, but and, all that could have been done. It was done relatively easily. It could be very hard to do that now. Mm-hmm. On almost no money.
0: Um, so, right. what about your return visits to the Middle East? What what uh, made that happen? So again, it go? was just
2: opportunity. Um, I had uh, so I had one of my. Um, One of the people that I had worked with, actually my uh, boss, a kind of mentor at um, uh, City Planning Department, um, was married to a woman from Iran and we all became friends and I became fascinated with um, that, much more interested in that part of the world, is fascinated with learning more about this and was invited um, to come with her to visit for a couple of months. And, um, so I did, I took a leave of absence from where I was working and, um, uh, went to Iran. This was in 76 and stayed in a, in a city, Kermenshaw, very near the Iraqi border. Um, it's much, much different now. Um, and then traveled on my own on a bus, uh, to mm. other parts of Iran. Wow. Um, yeah. Because, and again, I guess because it was there and because I had a link, it wasn't Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm.
1: theoretical
2: to me. And and in many ways, that's how I've followed through with other or developed other curiosities because of knowing someone who is involved in something else that sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. And that just seems an easy bridge into that next Subject to follow through, <laughs> right,
0: right. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. curious about. I want to hear about your life partner of 42 or 41 years or something. But um, I was once just wondering, you were uh, an urban planner with a social work background, your policy analyst, program manager in the public school systems. How uh, important was that work to you? How central was that to to what you it were was- doing?
2: you know, that always was very hard for me. Um, it was, it represented such a dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted very much to contribute, um, help to make uh, a better community, the better world. And, and, and of course, I also wanted to follow my own interests mm-hmm. and I, could never figure out how to do, in a sense, both at the same time, or or follow my own interests and be gainfully employed. Uh So so doing the policy work and program management work was very fulfilling. It really uh, made me stretch into uncomfortable areas Mm -hmm. of growth. Um, but, um, but ultimately very beneficial, and I think I was very helpful, uh, or my work was very helpful um, in improving uh, a public school system or better responding to uh, children's needs, families' needs, the community needs,
1: mm-hmm. in a
2: sense, um, but developing more and more uh, writing and speaking skills and being able to withstand a barrage of anger in public meetings. That's um, all, you know, very character building, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> and that's, uh, that's a certain kind of fulfillment. <laughs> and uh, I needed to do that to uh, pay the mortgage, but even more importantly to help uh, raise my son.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but the, the greater, I guess, deeper joy in many, uh, many ways um, has been more physical work. More, it's not really work, it's almost play, more physical activities. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's the farm background coming out, who knows? Um, but, um, you know, the, the hiking and the biking, rowing, skiing, that kind of thing. Um, and running, running for a while, quite a while was. I was a very, quite a serious runner. Um,
0: don't don't forget quite, s-
2: sailing. Yes, that's right. Sailing was a very important, <laughs> a very important phase of um, uh, my life. Together with my husband, hmm. um, we had uh, bought and then uh, continued to work on a um, a thirty-five foot double-ended uh, sailboat. Catch. Um, that was a replica of a um, 19th century Norwegian uh, pilot boat,
1: oh, wow. and,
2: uh, built for the North Sea, and um, we sailed it um, up and down the Atlantic, um, in Chesapeake Bay, um, through Long Island's, uh, through um, through New York City Harbor several times, and uh, Long Island Sound, and uh, then. Uh, finally uh, realizing that it needed more work than we could do with it on the East Coast, um, we brought it through the Erie Canal and the Great Lakes to Duluth. And all of that, over uh, two um, sailing seasons, that was quite thrilling. And then I became um, pregnant.
0: And oh, then you became
2: pregnant. Then I became pregnant. And then <laughs> that changed everything. Life totally changed. <laughs> and um, at the age of 42, I was not going to, um, I was not up for raising a child on a 35-foot catch <laughs> um, and kind of making do for salary here and there. That mm-hmm. wasn't going to mm-hmm. work. Um, so we uh, moved uh, quite Um, emphatically into a a bit more of a traditional life although we did bring the sailboat um, back to our at great expense um, brought it back to our backyard and actually Mm -hmm. bought a house with a yard uh, large enough to um, store it on jack stands um, while it could be worked on so um, so we've yeah I've had uh, a bit of a history with sailing, but I've <laughs> very much, deeply, deeply enjoyed um, all of that kind of physical activity. It's meant a great deal to me.
1: Have you continued to do this kind of physical activity? Uh, I'm not li- not leaving and traveling, you know, for a year or so. Um, but uh, um, but are you still very active physically? Um,
2: yes, I guess so. Um, Uh, Catherine's sister thinks I am. (laughs) Karen Mm -hmm. thinks I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the rowing. This year we're just sculling because we can only row in singles um, because of uh, COVID. So it's much safer to be out there in in a single. And I get great, great joy out of that. And I bike um, several times a week, um, you know, at some distances and do a lot of fast hiking and um and i've I've friends that do these things with me um and i've also got a new partner a wonderful wonderful man who um is an avid biker and walker so that's Mm -hmm. really a joy Mm -hmm. a great joy. Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah
0: I lost my train of thought because of I got so so involved <laughs> in all this activity.
2: <laughs> it's all made sense. It um, all makes sense. I know it's a list, <laughs> but it, it's all made sense. Um, yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. I want to go back to your attraction, what you said, uh, attraction to large community visions and people creating change. And as I recall from the conversation you and I had, your husband was someone who was very much about creating change, and I was, just, yes. I was curious about how much that affected your life, and to what extent you were involved in his vision, sure. his work. Um,
2: no, that that shaped my adult life very greatly. Um, Is at the time he and I um, kind of met each other and became involved with each other. Is um, if. All of you remember 1969, 70, 71, 72, there was a lot of um, political activity, and uh, my husband was, um, was a Vietnam veteran. Uh, my brother had just returned uh, from two years in Vietnam in the Marines. And uh, I knew a number of other Vietnam veterans. Anyway, my husband became um, the state coordinator for Vietnam Veterans Against the War, and did amazing did amazing things doing that with uh, in uh, in public. And I was just astonished. Um, this was um, before I understood about guerrilla theater and. Um, and strong public advocacy. Um, I could see that other people were doing this, but for me to know someone who was doing this and changing people's minds and helping them think more deeply and then getting them to act um, in terms of at least advocating for an end to the Vietnam War, that kind of thing, um, that was was really life-changing. I was also living with someone who was um, helping to develop the um, Indian Education Act um, that was being created um, through uh, Senator Edward Kennedy's office in Washington. And mm-hmm. between my roommate Liz and my husband, um, there I was <laughs> surrounded by all this action, all this you know, references to these people I was even hearing about on, on uh, the six o'clock news, and I could see that individuals could make change happen. That was was, um, really astonishing to me and a great eye-opener. I didn't um, act on this on my own immediately. I was supportive of both of them um, in, doing these activities, but it wasn't until I was working within the school system that I was sort of called upon to step up in a very public way and um, uh, advocate, you know, analyze um, the situations, pre- present logical conclusions, and advocate for them essentially, Advocating for children, advocating for parents in the community. Uh, so, mm-hmm. although I didn't, I didn't do this kind of thing on a on a national scene, um, except in regard to students mm-hmm. who are homeless. Um, I took uh, some leadership role in um, helping to develop some research uh, regarding students who are homeless and highly mobile, and um, helping to write materials and do trainings but all of this was much more on a, on a local and regional level mm-hmm. um, well
0: and and very impactful it sounds yes it really sounds yes like. also
2: although, although we need infinitely more affordable housing than we have now and equitable
1: mm-hmm.
2: um living conditions so um but i i guess one of the things that was brought That I understood was that um, if you knew something you needed, if you deeply, deeply understood something and knew it, you Mm -hmm. had to say Mm it. You had to say it publicly Mm -hmm. and you had to argue on behalf of others.
0: So it sounds like. Sounds like we can't see you, but it sounds like that was an incredibly meaningful experience for you to, uh, sorry. to learn to do that. Yeah. And to, yeah, to yeah, I get, I understand.
2: Mm. Um, yes, girls from Yellow Medicine County are not taught to stand up and speak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just you know, putting
0: myself in your Chippewa place. County, anyway. I know that's like. Yep. Yep. Chippewa mm. County. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So you go from, yeah, fine, no running water, et cetera, et cetera, to standing up there and fighting Mm -hmm. for people's rights,
2: Which any number of other people have done. So I am definitely not alone in that.
1: No, but it took great individual courage for you to do that and, and to step up into your own power and recognize that you could make a difference. And you did that.
2: Um, yes. And wish I could do more. <laughs> what can we say? But um, mm-hmm. I, uh, I did in those roles as much as I could. And as much, let's say, I did much more than I ever thought I could ever do.
1: Mm-hmm. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So you you retired <clears throat> at age 70.
2: Yeah. Well, actually, I was right? 69. So, but that's okay. No.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so what uh, prompted that decision? Um
2: let's see. I was I was I was tired. And I was not mm-hmm. I felt I was I had stopped being able to make headway um politically. Um I'm thinking within the uh, this our state and our county um, and and not because I wasn't trying enough, but um, it just was not politically the right time for people to be able to act on you know developing more housing or um, a variety of of things that um, Children and families in our communities here desperately need. Um, and it was time i I was beginning to um, attend committee meetings in which I could write the script and pe- you know, oh, and i've guess. I've discovered okay. since then that other people have had the same sensation in a way, you go to a meeting and you say, okay, I know what that person's gonna say, and they've just said it, you know? Um, so it was really time, it was time to go. Um, and I was very concerned that my, um, uh, my, my sense of being tired with the way we were going about doing things was going to end up reflecting on the issues that I was trying to address and that Mm -hmm. could not Mm -hmm. happen. So I worked Mm -hmm. very hard at finding um, a very, very credible, strong replacement uh, for myself. Um, And thankfully um, he was hired and that worked. And that worked very, very, Mm -hmm. very well received. Yes, so that's, that's worked, yeah.
0: Excellent. You know, um, you when we talked, you said that you want to live a life of endurance (laughs) with grace. I love that. I
2: want to know. Well, I hope that doesn't sound like I'm exhausted and just exhausted with a smile on my face. That's not at all what I mean. I I meant much more um, that I am more of an endurance person. I'm not your um, slalom skier. Um, I'm not a whitewater rafter. Um, I uh, prefer mm-hmm. to move more slowly, especially in uncharted waters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and yet keep moving, keep moving, keep progressing. Um, so what, what that means, I guess, is that how do you keep moving through, how do you keep moving through life uh, with as much grace
1: mm-hmm.
2: as you possibly um, can muster, um, given what mm-hmm. comes your way, and COVID is throwing all of us for some loops. And uh, yeah, we—it's like every day we can have easily have a an existential moment or two. <laughs> um, yeah. And how do you do all that with grace?
1: That's lovely. Yes. Um, and I'm wondering, do you have any answers for us? <laughs> uh, Learn, to play, t- Learn yes, to play the cello. That helps.
2: <laughs> Some people would say yoga, which is very, very good, of course. But I learned to play cello, and if I can, I can just lose myself in that. And again, mm-hmm. cello and, and all musical um, activity is really physical Um, and cello is definitely it's like a whole body experience Mm, mm. Um, so it's it's very tiring um, because it is so physical but it it is a very beautiful thing to lose yourself in that moment of making a sound Mm. a sound that you are striving for Mm. um, and combinations of sound um, that that is very beautiful to me.
1: Was there a reason that you chose the cello? Uh,
2: only because I'd always wanted to play the cello. Ever since I realized what it was, as a child, I didn't, you know, I had never heard of a cello or seen one or even seen a picture of one. So at some point, maybe in late teens or early adulthood, um, I began to realize what it was. It's always always called me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, asked a friend, I asked a friend who worked at a string store um, one day when I was in real deep doldrums, uh, what it would take to learn to play the cello. I was thinking she would say something like, well, a check for $5,000 or
1: $10,000.
2: And she said, $50 a month, that's all you need. You rent it, you rent it by the month.
1: Mm-hmm. That's oh. all you
2: need. And so I was out there that week.
1: Hmm.
0: And now you're play you play in a, a the local orchestra and a Yeah, it's a quartet. cello quartet.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cello. I love the cello. Oh, lovely. <laughs> just
2: love yeah. It. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Many yeah. people do because the, they say the sound is so much like the human voice that it's a comfort. Mm-hmm. It's a comfort. And mm-hmm. I love the range. Mm-hmm yeah and it's and it's easy on my ears <laughs> whereas whereas actually um uh higher pitch instruments are very very hard for my ears, and as a person is older, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is much more the case
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. um so sir you're yes. seventy five you're uh, obviously still you are um mm-hmm. A model for endurance with grace, from what what we can what we hear from you. So, how do you think about aging? And if how do you think about it?
2: I do sometimes, not often, because again, I prefer to live like right now. Um, and it's not like I planned where I'm going to live next or where I'm ultimately going to live just before the end. I really don't Mm -hmm. care to think that way I don't want to invest my my um my psychic and intellectual energy in that direction um I've um Mm -hmm. got a sweet little house on the banks of the Mississippi River on the bluff and uh not on the banks I guess it's right really on the bluff and um I've done things in the house that make it a safer place to be um but uh, I think it's very important for me to be as physically active and intellectually as active as I can be I mm-hmm. just um, for as long as I can be. Um, and I'm not sure what that means, except that I'm always open to making new friends. I'm open to trying uh, something new. Um and i mm-hmm. and I'm hoping that that will um, stem me in good stead going going forward over these next years. and of course, staying healthy, it staying healthy, 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 of course,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. 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 yeah
0: it sounds like a a very optimistic and fulfilling life course for someone who I think you said to me, I don't really plan. <laughs>
2: it's so. yeah
1: yeah right
2: <laughs> you make right. things happen though you right i would rather happen. make things happen than over plan how's that <laughs> yes mm-hmm,
1: yes mm-hmm. and a
2: little serendipity and things is it's a good thing
0: yes indeed <laughs> well um thank you zip so much for joining us today well, it's been delightful talking with you and we appreciate your your candor and and talking about um, some of your really fascinating life experiences. So thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Yes, thanks so much, Deb. And listeners, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Become an active participant in our community through the Facebook group and our monthly Zoom gatherings. And we will see you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women
0: Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.